Today on Focal Point with Pastor Mike Fabares. If you gotta buy a house, ask why those houses. If you're going out to buy, shop for new clothes, ask yourself why you're looking on that rack, why? Is it really because that's what you like or that's what you want? Or is that because you're concerned what people might think and so you're looking in this little category because I know that'll speak well of me to people. You know what that is? That's self-promotion. And that is not what God is interested in you participating. There's a troublesome trend of social media influencers who become popular for being naturally beautiful. That is, until they're exposed for photoshopping images and using filters to pretend they're something they're not. Well, self-promotion to gain worldly approval is nothing new. And today on Focal Point, Pastor Mike Fabares is addressing this topic as he continues our verse-by-verse study of 2 Samuel. It's easy to get sucked into keeping up with the Joneses. But as we'll learn today, that's just politics. Well, here's Pastor Mike to explain. Though I understand there are some people that probably have real good and noble hearts that like earthly civil government. I don't think there's very many decent people in this world that like politics, per se. There's a difference, you know, politics. Politics, at least as defined in the dictionary, is the process of promoting yourself. As a matter of fact, politicking is defined as making speeches or doing what otherwise would help to promote yourself and your policies. Now, if you're a Sunday school graduate, that ought to uh, make you recoil just a little bit. Because if you are familiar with the Bible, you know that in passages like Ezekiel 28, Isaiah 14, the Bible's pretty clear about giving us what really caused the problem of sin in our universe. What started the ball rolling caused all kinds of problems, rebellion, sin, disease. Everything started when one guy decided to promote himself. He wanted to promote himself, his ideas, his policies. He wanted to be someone who conjured up votes, and he was very successful at it. But the Bible says it really is the archetypal sin of the universe. It got everything that's bad going. It is something that is abhorrent in Scripture, and it is opposed by God. As a matter of fact, there are a few things that God attacks so vehemently in Scripture as he does the problem of pride and self-promotion. There's a lot in the Scripture that we could uh, highlight this morning that would identify lots of negative consequences to being proud, and I've been uh, impacted by those many times in my spiritual life, but this week I was really overwhelmed with all the benefits that are promised to the humble. There are so many things in scripture like Psalm 25 that says that when we are humble, God will teach us his way. The promise is only given to those that are humble. If you're a humble person, he's willing to get involved in your life. It says, and lead you in paths of faithfulness and love. Does that sound good? Or like Isaiah 66, the first two verses say, God is so exalted and majestic, but he's willing to be intimate with people who are humble contrite of heart. I think Andrew Murray summed it up well when he said about humility, he said, without it, there can be no true abiding in God. Without humility, there can be no experience of God's favor. There can be no experience of the power of his spirit. Without humility, there can be no abiding faith, no love, no joy, and no real strength. 
I mean, I think he really encapsulated the basic teaching of Scripture. Without it, we're in big trouble. If we want to be followers of God, if we want to be good Christians, if we want to experience all the things that God has planned for people like us, we cannot do it without being truly humble people. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to 2 Samuel 15 and show you that we as people so wired by our depravity and our sinfulness are subtly sold a bill of goods by the enemy who gets involved in our thinking and our words, our conversations, and even in our relationships and tempts us day in and day out in subtle and insidious ways to promote ourselves above other people. It is built into the fabric of our society. It is a part of what we all are born with a tendency to do. And yet the Bible says you need to overcome that. We need to, as Christians, understand that the place that we have in this world is determined by God, not our own self-promotion, not by striving to be seen as important. And in this passage, we learn of a man named Absalom that we've met already in our study of 2 Samuel. But in this passage, we see his self-ambition rise to new heights when he says in his mind, it's time for me to be king. Now, I really deserve it. I can do it. I know that I have the gifts and the tools and the know-how to be a good king, and I want to be king, so I'm going to position my life and use various strategies to accomplish the kind of recognition that I deserve, the kind of power and prestige and importance in this society that I rightly should have coming to me. So he reads all the self-help books and the promotional books, and he goes out and he gets his life together, and he aims at success. And we see just how damning a strategy that is. And it becomes quite clear in a passage like this how aligned that kind of thinking is with the enemy of God, with the primary sinful opponent of God's plan. And he's working it not only in ancient Israel and not only in some theological distant past, but he's working it in our lives today, in our culture, in our county, so pay close attention to the strategy of Absalom, and let's see if we can't counter that with some biblical principles from the New Testament. Look at this passage with me, if you would, beginning in verse number one. Absalom decides in wanting to be king that he's going to need a few things, and it says, in the course of time, he provided himself with a chariot and horses and 50 men to run in front of him. Picture that, would you? <laughs> now, that sounds kind of funny to us, but uh, really in ancient Near Eastern cultures, that was kind of the entourage of, of royalty. You have these guys running in front. You have big horses and a big chariot, nice gold leaf all around. And you ride in that, and you look important. It was the way everyone else did it, but it's not the way the leaders of Israel did it. As a matter of fact, if you know anything about Jerusalem, if you visited it, perhaps you know it's a hilly, rocky place. It's a terrible place to have a chariot and horses. It's just not even inclined to that. But it didn't matter to Absalom because he knew that if he had this, then he would look good, and he would look like someone important, and it would be like the kinds of kings that are out and about and the ones he'd read about as a kid. And so I need these things. So he went out and shopped for a good chariot, checked out a few good horses, had interviews, hired 50 guys, and wherever he went, he'd take those chariots and horses and everybody would go, wow, that guy, he's important. Do you think there are any parallels in South Orange County culture when it comes to this kind of mentality? 
Oh, I don't see very many chariots and horses and 50 men running in front of executives in South Orange County. But I tell you what, I do see a lot of people who are trying to acquire things to say something about themselves. Do you see any of that? Is that a temptation in our setting in this day? Now, uh, I'm not talking about materialism. That's a problem. It's a problem in a wealthy culture like our own. It's a problem in our time. But materialism is the focus on the thing. The materialism is the greed and the coveting that comes with a preoccupation with material possessions. I don't think that's Absalom's problem here. He is not interested in the thing for the thing's sake. He is interested in acquiring the thing for what the thing will communicate about him. He's using the thing as a tool to have people think he's important. He is promoting his image in the minds of people through what he has. So we're not talking about people that just like stuff. That's bad, and that's a whole other sermon. We're talking today about acquiring things that we don't need and don't even sometimes even really want, but we think it'll say something right about me. It might communicate that I've arrived. Now let's get real personal. Let me go to pick out a car. <laughs> I mean, there are a lot of people shopping for cars this weekend that are looking for a certain kind of car. Not because that car is the best kind of car to have or it's the most enjoyable car. It fits, you know, my particular set of needs on my needs list for a car. But because that kind of car or that kind of car says something about me. Not even the car I like the best, but if I have that car, people will know something. Or it's like homes, houses. It's not like that floor plan is really the best for us, but it's in the right neighborhood. And if people knew we lived in there, then that, that says something. So we'll go there. Clothing. <laughs> I realize that when Jesus looks at his favorite people, he looks way past the attire. And he looks at people actually that aren't even concerned with acquiring things that will communicate for them. He doesn't want that. He's not interested in that. Now, I'm not saying things are bad or nice things are bad or nice ties are bad or nice cars are bad or nice gated communities in San Clemente are bad. I'm not saying that. I mean, God gives us things to enjoy, and if we get them to enjoy, that's one thing. And we can be preoccupied with them, but that's a whole other sermon. I'm talking about getting them with some thought in my mind that if I get this particular thing, that will speak well of me. And so we do it. Our motive is mixed with that kind of thought. Before Absalom went out shopping for chariots, he should have asked himself, why am I doing this? And that's a good principle for us, and it's a question we should ask. Jot it down this way, number one on your outline. Before you buy, you need to ask why. Ask yourself that question. If you gotta buy a car, go ask yourself why you're looking at those cars. If you gotta buy a house, ask why those houses. If you're going out to buy, shop for new clothes, ask yourself why you're looking on that rack, why? Is it really because that's what you like or that's what you want? Or is that because you're concerned what people might think and so you're looking in this little category because I know that'll speak well of me to people. You know what that is? That's self-promotion wrapped in external signs to give people a better impression of me, and that is not what God is interested in you participating in. Don't go there. God's not interested in that. As a matter of fact, he's opposed to it. As we'll see in Absalom's life, things like this that he did were born out of a heart that was just interested in one thing. Me first. I go above you. And I need you to see that by everything I own, by what I drive, by what I wear. Verse 2. 
It was not only that Absalom was good at promoting himself through what he had, his things, but he was very, very skillful at promoting himself by what he said. Look at it, verse 2. He'd get up early in the morning. He'd stand by the side of the road that was leading to the city gate. And whenever anyone would come with a complaint to be placed before the king for a decision, which, by the way, was part of how the king's job description played out, he would hear cases, he would adjudicate between people's uh, problems and disputes, he would be kind of the Supreme Court of the country. So whenever someone was coming for a decision like that, Absalom would jump in the road and say, hey, hey, what town are you from? And the person would answer, well, your servant is from one of the tribes of Israel, so-and-so tribe. Absalom would say, hey, look, tell me your story. And as he did, he'd hear the claim and he'd say this. Note it carefully, verse 3, your claims are valid and proper. Oh, that's a good case. You make a good point. Okay, then he says, but you know what? The king, he's out playing golf or something today. He's not around. You know how he is. I mean, he's just, he's just so popular now and important. And, and Absalom would add, you know, if only I were appointed a judge in the land. <laughs> and everyone who had a complaint or a case, you know, they could come to me and, and I'd see that he gets justice. Do you see what he's just done? Real subtle. I mean, I put emphasis to it here. But all he's basically said is, you know, the king's really, really busy. But, you know, if I, if I were in charge... If I had the power, I'd really help you. And man, that's a good case you got there. Oh, sorry, I can't help. What's he doing? He's doing what everybody does when they politic. He's doing what is unavoidable for those that are engaged in self-promotion. You can't help it. You put other people down. And that's all he did. He subtly used his words to, to put his competition down. It was his own father, but he put him down because it made him look better. Because you can't promote yourself and avoid the inescapable temptation of trying to promote yourself by simply putting other people down. That's how it works. And we do it with our mouth by the things that we say. And some of us are even more subtle than, than Absalom. We do it through jokes and laughter and sarcasm. Say funny things about that person, but all it does is go, dum, 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 and it makes me look so much better. Or we leave that dinner with that couple or we leave their house and all we do on the drive home is we talk about how messed up the family was and you see how they treated their kids and I can't believe the way she talked over and we do all these things. Why? We chop them down, 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 down. And then we say, oh, I love you, honey. I'm glad our marriage didn't like that. What are we doing? We're saying what good people we are. It's a process of self-promotion and it leaks out of our mouth all the time. And one of the strategies, verses two through four there was what? Put people down. Subtly, insidiously, the enemy works through our mouth to promote ourselves. Look at the next verse, verse 5. Here's another strategy that our mouth uses. Also, whenever anyone approached him to bow down before him, Absalom would reach out his hand. Oh, no, no, don't, don't, bow, don't bow down before me. Stand up, sir. He'd take his hand and he'd kiss the guy. This is the ancient Near Eastern culture. They, they used to do that. You know, uh, family members would do that. We saw that in the last verse of chapter 14. Father and son would do that. I, I mean, people that were really close, intimate friends would do that. But you wouldn't see a monarch or the heir apparent of the, of the kingdom kissing the commoner in Israel. Well, he didn't do that to everybody, did he? Well, that's what the next verse says, verse 6. Absalom, Absalom behaved in this way toward all the Israelites who came to the king asking for justice. And so he stole the hearts of the men of Israel. You know what that's called? Flattery. And the Bible condemns it categorically. It is the process of building myself up by schmoozing. 
with my words. That's what it is. It's telling you what you want to hear. It's making you feel so good by my compliments that you go away thinking, man, that Mike, he's a good guy. And you think that, and I'm promoted in your eyes because I've told you what you want to hear. And I've promoted myself through flattery. You know what the Bible calls that? Deception. Why? Because it's insincere. Do you think that Absalom really cared about all those people and their cases? No, he didn't. He cared about himself. He was in the process of promoting himself. And one of his methods was flattery. And this just doesn't have to have the application in the high-powered sales position. That is not where it only exists. It exists all the way to the homemaker who leans over the fence and talks to her neighbor about what a wonderful house or wonderful kids they've got. And it's a lot of insincere garbage that they're spewing out. But the reason they're doing it is so that person can think that I'm pretty neat. And we elevate our own image of ourselves in the minds and eyes of other people by saying things that we think they want to hear. And it works. Look at the last line of verse 6. He stole their hearts that way. They said, we really like that guy. He ought to be king around here. Verse 7. When you get into deceptive flattery, you'll go to all links. You'll go to out-and-out bald-faced lies to show that you're a great guy. Look at verse 7. That's what he's about to do. At the end of four years, Absalom said to the king, let me go to Hebron and fulfill a vow that I made to the Lord. (laughs) You made a vow to the Lord? Really? Well, what was it? Well, while your servant was living in Jeshur and Aram, I made this vow. And I said something like this. I was so depressed and bummed out about being exiled from the kingdom. I said, oh, if the Lord would take me back to Jerusalem. You know, if he'd ever get me back there and we could reconcile with dad, you know, I, I, would, go, I would go and worship the Lord in Hebron. I would offer sacrifices in that very important city, about 22 miles from Jerusalem. I would, I would go there and I would worship. You know, that's what I said. Yeah. If ever I got back to Jerusalem. You believe that for a minute? I don't believe that for a minute. Why? Look at the first words in verse 7. If this is a really a vow he made that if ever I make it back to Jerusalem, I'll go 22 miles away to Hebron and I'll, I'll worship God in a little worship service and I'll take some animals and I'll sacrifice. Why did you wait four years to do that? <laughs> that doesn't even make any sense. And not only that, I know his motive because it's about to be revealed in the next few verses. He's not going there to worship. Oh, he goes through the motions of sacrifices, but he's doing something very strategic here. But what he's saying is not the truth. As a matter of fact, what he's saying is very noble. So noble, verse number nine, his dad says, wow, kid's got an interest in spiritual things. That's great. Hey, go in peace. I hope you have a good time. I hope you grow close to God on that little retreat. Do you see what he's he's doing? He's using his mouth and he's deceiving and he's lying. It's the kind of lie that makes you think that I'm a better person than I really am. I'm saying things about myself that aren't even true. And in a religious context, that's so easy, isn't it? Oh, I've been really praying for you. Sure you have. Really? How long? When? Every day? Oh, you know, I really, you know, we go on and on about the things we say. We broadcast with our mouths and it's not even true. But if believed, people think, wow, he's he's a neat guy. And his mouth spewed out not only put-downs of the competition, not only flattery to build his, his image in people's minds, but he also deceived people out and out. Oh, he was going to go and he was going to sacrifice something, but that really wasn't the motive. Now put your finger here and turn over in the New Testament with me to Ephesians chapter 4. I want to give you the solution to this. 
Everything in our culture and sometimes in the fiber of our humanity, we are tempted to promote ourselves. If you want to avoid that with your mouth, here's the end all. Here's the surefire solution that you will not do it. It's simply obeying this simple verse in Ephesians chapter 4. Look at this passage with me. Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 29. It's the reason God gave us the ability to communicate. When it comes to my relationship with you and the reason God gave me a mouth and the ability to speak words is because God wanted me to use my mouth for a very particular and specific purpose. And it's not unwholesome talk. That's just one category. But it's not, Do not let any unwholesome talk, it says, come out of your mouth. But only, very important word, circle it, but only what is helpful for, here's the purpose, building up others according to their needs. Whose needs? Their needs. Ask the question. Absalom, was he uh, spending time chatting with those guys by the side of the road so that he could meet their needs? No. Was he, was he kissing them and hugging them, telling them, you know, I really appreciate you and we're all one big happy family because he's meeting, meeting uh, people's needs or his own needs? His own needs. Was he telling his dad about his, his, his vow and, and going off to worship and his plans and his schedule for the next month because he was interested in David's needs? No. He was saying all that for his own good and his own needs. His need and desire was to be promoted, and he was saying things. Whether it's flattery or deception or put-downs, they were all verbal tools to make him look good, to be promoted, to edge his way up on the corporate ladder in Israel, the political ladder. That's what he was doing. The text says you got one thing to do when you open your mouth. What is it? As it relates to people, it's to meet needs. Look at it. Only for building up others according to their needs that it may benefit who? People that listen. It can benefit them. How far off are we on this way off? Put it this way in your outline if you want to live this passage out. We need to serve someone else when we talk. Serve someone else. Don't serve yourself. That's the way your flesh is wired. Your mouth will open and it will try to serve you. You have to control it. And by God's grace, get your mouth in serve mode, not self-serve. Get it in serve mode and keep it there. And when you talk, try to serve people. How can I benefit them? What will this conversation do for them? Or are you just interested in spewing out what you're interested in spewing out so that people will think rightly about you? Boy, this is a challenge. And Satan subtly works in our conversations to do it. Manifested in put-downs, manifested in flattery, manifested in deceptions about who we really are. But the bottom line is the goal is to serve, to serve with what I say. You're listening to Pastor Mike Fabares on Focal Point. Now, to catch up on previous lessons from our verse-by-verse study of 2 Samuel, or to share this message with a friend, visit the sermon archive at focalpointradio.org or download the free Focal Point app. Today's message is titled, Breaking Stride with the World's Campaign Manager. Well, no one wishes to experience hardship or regret, but when we commit ourselves fully to God, He may shine a light on actions from our past that makes us uncomfortable. Well, that's not something a lot of people want to confront. But here at Focal Point, we're committed to teaching directly from Scripture, never changing or watering down God's Word. His words are there to teach us how to be more like Him. Here's a thoughtful note we received from Lance, who listens in California. He wrote, Whenever I feel down, the sermon Pastor Mike preached on Christians and sports this past summer always gets me. As a person who deals with bad personal troubles who would like to give up, 
I always go back to that sermon and it gives me hope to not give up and stick with Christ because he's sticking with me. Thanks, Pastor Mike, and all of Focal Point for all you do. Well, thank you, Lance. You know, we're committed to being here for you each day, but we can only do so because of friends like you who donate to make this ministry possible. Thank you. Your support means we can continue providing these daily messages free of charge on radio, the internet, and through the Focal Point mobile app. Learn more at focalpointradio.org. When you give a donation today, we'll send you a copy of Pastor Mike's book, Lifelines for Tough Times, as our way of saying thanks for your support. This book helps you understand why God allows suffering, as well as provides you with resources to stand strong in the face of trials and rest in God's care. To make a donation and request the book, go to focalpointradio.org. Well, I'm Dave Drewy, inviting you to join us again on Tuesday as we conclude our series on politicking, right here on Focal Point. Pastor Mike here. You know, it's an honor to be with you every day, helping you explore the depths of Scripture. But I want to be clear, no amount of Bible knowledge is ever going to save you. Be sure where you stand with God. Get in touch with us. We'd love to pray with you and for you. Visit us today at focalpointradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Focal Point Ministries.